Super Talk Mississippi media production. And now it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by AG Chase Systems and Networks on Super Talk 103.1 FM. Welcome to Coast View, the show that every single day celebrates the men and women who are making coastal Mississippi such an amazing place to live, work, and play. I love saying that every morning because I really believe it. And the kind of conversations we have on this show are so focused on the the people who are working so hard to take our state to the next level. There are always going to be challenges, and we talk about some of those challenges along the way. But I really love celebrating the leaders in this state, uh, particularly in coastal Mississippi, who are stepping up to the plate, burning the midnight oil, aren't getting paid for it often. They're just working really hard for the for the benefit of this uh, for this coast. I love I love focusing on young entrepreneurs, like the conversation I had yesterday with uh, with uh, Geneva Doomer, who's working on uh, contributing toward creating sort of an ecosystem around entrepreneurship with the with the pitch competition and the other things that they're working on. Great opportunities there. Uh, the conversation I had with uh, State Auditor Shad White yesterday, you know, what a bright young leader he is, the only uh, statewide official who is a millennial. And the work that he's doing in his department to focus on brain drain and why it's important for us to think more about that, uh, it's important. It's really important. You miss this statistic. Uh, household income in coastal Mississippi has, has fallen. You look at things like uh, peak, peak employment. Peak employment was before Katrina, and we haven't reached that again since Katrina. And as I pointed out on the show, there's some issues related to technology, implementation, et cetera. And uh, there's a lot of people thinking about it, but probably one of the most important things we could do to fix and address the the brain drain issue is to build the kind of communities that young people want to live in. And there are a lot of people who are focused on that in coastal Mississippi. And uh, as my friend John Harrison, CEO of Hancock Whitney, has said, as I talked about yesterday, we haven't had any big game-changing sectors of the economy since the gaming industry in 1992, if you think about it, because, of course, Stennis was already there, um, you know, Chevron and Ingalls were, were already there. So, you know, I think, uh, it, you know, we're not, it, the days of hitting big home runs may be over. So it's going to take a lot of singles and doubles and a lot of working in the trenches. So working on entrepreneurship, working on, uh, you know, doing some of the traditional economic development, you know, building the kind of communities that people want to live in, staying focused on making this a great destination resort for people to, to visit, making this a wonderful place to live, work, and play. These are all, you know, great goals, and we're going to stay focused on those goals here on Coastview. Hey, I, read, I ran across this cool uh, uh, this is, I don't know who said this, but you know, I think we've all thought it, <laughs> that's for sure. But my, my friend Susan uh, Myers Griggs posted this. Susan worked at the Keesler News. We published the Keesler News for Keesler Air Force Base when I was the publisher of the Sun Herald. And uh, Susan worked there and she was just such a great employee and such a good person. I, I, I love to follow her because she, she's, uh, she, she posts a lot of things that, Make I think all of us think about you know how we want to approach our life. But here's what she posted uh, in the last few days. She says growth is deleting the entire paragraph and texting back okay. <laughs> growth is in deleting the entire paragraph and texting back okay. 
Boy, have we all been in that position. I, I read a great book one time. It, it was uh, the book name of the book was How to Be a Great CEO or How to Be a CEO. And it meant not just a CEO of an organization, it might be of your life or of a nonprofit organization or whatever it might be. But one of the things it said is it said if you got a letter that's really, really important, in other words, you're you maybe you're a little bit worked up or maybe you're a little bit anxious or whatever. It said, write it, go ahead and write it, and then put it in your top drawer and let it sit there for two weeks. That's what the book said. And if in two weeks you open up that top drawer and that, and that letter is still important, send it. So in, in this day of sort of instant gratification and the ability to be connected with all of our friends and uh, coworkers instantaneously, um, I think people could, would be wise to think about writing that memo or that text or that whatever. And uh, setting it aside, so, because sometimes really okay is <laughs> plenty. Great, great, you know, words of advice posted by my friend Susan Griggs. So anyway, now we're going to move over to my friend Alex Littlejohn, who's the executive director for the Nature Conservancy in Mississippi. He's an incredibly good friend to Coast U, and I've I've enjoyed working with with uh, Alex in the trenches. We're going to talk about. Some uh, really good news. We, we have to qualify what we're about to say, and I'll explain to you in just a second as it relates to the Outdoor Stewards of Trust Fund that we've been so passionate about. But before we go any further, let me welcome Alex back to Koshi. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. I was doing better till I just got this text from my dad and him and a friend of his shot the bird, shot the turkey that we've all been after up on the place. Oh, Oxford. no. <laughs> <laughs> and I, oh, no. I I don't consider myself a turkey hunter, but we did have a bird or two, but it looks like they've gotten after them pretty good this morning, so I bet it was a pretty morning. So I was doing good until I got that text. Good for them. You know, I mentioned this on my outdoor show Monday, but I was, uh, Jordan and I had a little window, and we were going to, we were cobbling together a group to go do some tuna fishing. And you look like we had a little window, but that means a hundred mile run, and we got to be careful. And uh, but the weather kept changing, and when it when you're seeing these changes like that, like from one hour to the next, and then it kind of it, it this toggles back and forth. It, it's telling you don't go 100 miles offshore this time of year. You know, it can go from slick to six foot seas almost. You know, all, within 10 minutes. Yeah. And so you have to be really careful. But Jordan went Jordan went turkey hunting instead and got on two separate birds. And you know, he didn't shoot. But you know, you know this, Alex. That's that's the beauty of what you just said to me. Sometimes just pursuing the bird and being out there with it is fun, isn't it? Yeah. I mean that. Like, again, I don't consider myself a turkey hunter. We didn't have a lot of birds in North Mississippi growing up. In fact, a dear friend of mine had really the only birds in the county. But, you know, I, I get it. I get the chase. I mean, I absolutely get it. I don't know. I think the chase is more addictive than the actual harvest when you get it, when you get right down to it. Yeah, he sent me. I'll, I'll I'll grab it during during the break and let you hear something. But he sent me a, a really short video of uh, – a crow calling and the and the and the gobbler answering and you know it was just so I was so happy for him and he was he was super pumped. He had a had a when he was in law school up at Ole Miss he he did a lot of hunting on public land. He'd get up super yeah. early and find his way to the public land. And uh, over a long stretch, couple of weeks, man, he chases one bird up and down hills and all around and never got it. But boy, did he have a story to tell. Yeah. Yeah, so I, much absolutely. fun. That's, that's more fun. You know, I, I get it. I absolutely get it. So, okay, here's the qualifier. So because of uh, the way we had to do this, we're recording this show 
to air on Wednesday. Uh, this is the Wednesday Coast View. We're recording this on Tuesday. So as we sit here this morning, um, we've had some really, really good news as it re- relates to the Outdoor Stewardship Trust Fund that I've talked about here on Coast View many times and on Super Talk Outdoors as well. We're gonna we'll go through sort of some of the details of that. We've kind of retraced some of the sex steps of the process so you can have a strong appreciation. But this is really generational this is generational legislation that can have a tremendous impact on our outdoor enjoyment over many, many, many years to come. And uh, before we go any further, Alex, why don't you kind of just kind of update us on sort of where we are now and what we expect to happen. We're not, we have not crossed the finish line. We're not popping the bottles of champagne yet, but it certainly looks good. And by the time this airs, we probably will know more, but give me a sense of where we are. Yeah, essentially what we've come to and the and, and we, I mean the House and the Senate leadership have gotten together and they've essentially agreed to some very concrete terms and very positive terms as it relates to the Outdoor Stewardship Trust Fund. And those terms are around diversion versus, versus appropriation, um, inclusion of both public and private lands for conservation and restoration, uh, the participants, who can participate, can it be just state agencies or can it be also cities and municipalities as well as charitable conservation groups non-governmental entities such as nature conservancy um and those were really the terms and then you get into who's going to oversee the fund how how are the funds going to be delivered and you really get down into the what they call the sausage making and it seems as such based on you know recent developments that we we've landed in a We've landed in a very strong place that's going to benefit Mississippi and conservation for years to come, from what I understand. And that's that's a great, that is something um, we should all be proud of. I can't agree with you more. And as, as you know, I got a call from the lieutenant governor last week, and he uh, was very committed to moving this thing along and uh, understood sort of why it was going to be super important and also mentioned the, the term of money in the first year about around 20 million so hopefully if they appropriate that which you know there's some maneuvering going on to make that happen it looks like that could happen it should happen it will happen and uh, and that would that will get us where we need to be you know you never go into a process like this um you certainly hope for a perfect bill you always hope for a perfect bill but the legislative process sometimes it is as you pointed out sausage making and in this particular case it, you know, sausage making would say that where we landed was, kind, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily want to know the ingredients. But the truth is, where we landed is pretty pretty close, with the exception of the funding mechanism, not a dedicated funding mechanism. We'll come back to that in just a second. But I, but you know, we're getting into some of the nitty gritty here for for listeners. I want to take a step back for a second and talk about why this is important. Why why how coastal Mississippi and this state will benefit from an outdoor stewardship fund. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with the state director of the Nature Conservancy, my friend Alex Littlejohn. See you after this break. Subscribe for free to the Coast View Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. His love for the coast is why he's here. It's Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. Listen, 
One of the reasons I like doing coaches, one of the reasons why it's been fun sort of after retiring and then taking a break for a little over four years and then coming back to do this show is to get reconnected. I say it all the time, the opportunity to uh, to, to connect with people, to be involved and to uh, use, you know, f- for a long time as publisher of Three Coast uh, newspapers and then having responsibilities for, for big media companies and then uh, newspapers in five states, you you get a sense of what it takes to build a great community, understand the political process. You understand the, the, the important role that so many segments of an issue, uh, you know, like like government, non-governmental, volunteer. So you, you understand the role these people play. For me, though, as it relates to the to the Outdoor Stewardship Trust Fund, the opportunity to to get reconnected in this incredible community of dedicated leaders like our guest today, Alex Littlejohn, and Ed Penny from Ducks Unlimited, and James Cumming from Wildlife Mississippi, and John Taylor and Chris Guritz from the foundation and others from the foundation, I might add. Um, I mean, there's a long list of people that are super dedicated, but man, these are selfless leaders who are all working for the for the betterment of the state. And when I talk about on 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 Super Talk Outdoors that Mississippi is the capital of the outdoors in America, we have to act like it. We have to be willing to invest the money. And and when we do, in the case of an outdoor stewardship trust fund that we're talking about today, we get the opportunity to pull down an enormous amount of federal funds from various programs. And so, Alex, you know, I, I watch you in, in in process during this whole two your process and uh, your your leadership and the team around you was unbelievable. I mean, it was one of the best teams I've seen in a long time. I mean, you have to reflect on it the same way, don't you? Yeah, and you have to where I reflect is how we all got brought together and how the you know, the issue or the initiative restarted. This is this process is not one that we haven't tried before and I'm and, and again, I mean we as in the state but it never got real traction, um, and I feel like the ingredients came together in a, in a much better fashion this round with the individuals at the right place at the right time that really parked all their egos and personalities to the side uh, or desires to the side and said, look, we're, just, we're in it for Mississippi, and we're in it to put us at a competitive advantage so that we can go out there and work on the areas that we've all grown up in in our backyards and, and have made us who we are as, as gentlemen and as Mississippians today. And you talk about really fun. Uh, it's been it's been extremely fun. And, and, and I'll I'll be proud that I was I played a minor role in this for the rest of my life. And um, and, and I mean that sincerely. Yeah, I, I look, I, I, I should mention people like Will Primos from Primos Outdoors. Yeah one of the most important outdoors ambassadors in the country. I mean, Will is the man and he represents Mississippi. And when he speaks inside Mississippi, people listen a little bit like EF Hutton, you know, from an outdoors point of view. (laughs) And then, you know, again, so many, the foundation, the foundation is a big sponsor of super talk outdoors. And because of that, I've gotten the opportunity to know many of the board members who are just volunteers working hard they're yeah. they're raising money for the department of wildlife fisheries and parks separate organization they're involved in issues like this and man when they get locked and loaded their ability to cobble together all the stakeholders is something to behold isn't it it's impressive uh to me 
the way relationships work in Mississippi and, and throughout the South and throughout the U.S., but really we've got a um, got a real special thing in Mississippi is that, you know, relationships matter for more than just personal, you know, personal advances and whatnot. And to see those relationships all come together and everybody working for the common good, you find out that Mississippi's not really a state, it's a club. You find that out the easy way. It becomes very evident in a process such as this. But you start to realize that genuine relationships can yield absolutely remarkable results when applied appropriately. And this process was one of those cases in point. I mean, it just, I can't speak it enough. It's, if you don't think relationships matter, um, you're really missing out. You are really missing out on, on a lot of quality things in life. And we're gonna we're gonna get to there's one last little piece here around and who is involved, and uh, then we'll get to why it's important because it's really yeah. good for Mississippi. I just just you know passed last year 117 to two, a version a version passed uh, the Senate last year you know 52 to nothing. Uh, they just couldn't get together, and um, and it was frustrating for us to watch that. But you know, I, I think there were some important sticking points that they needed to really think about, and they needed to understand better. We needed to probably do a better job of really nailing down uh, what the federal grant opportunities were specifically. We, I think we all got smarter, to be honest with you. Yeah. And you know, this is the when you got the pandemic and all these other things going on, and of course this year with income tax and medical marijuana and all the other issues. I mean, it's one of the two years in a row, incredibly consequential sessions. It's hard to get the focus on something like this because it it's not that something you're just going to say, oh, okay, we're going to do this and just do it. Man, there's a, I mean, the devil's in the details on this one, buddy, isn't it's, it? It's always the case. And from our standpoint, from the conservation community, us and Ducks Unlimited, Wildlife Mississippi, the foundation, Delta Wildlife up in the Delta. And, you know, this is the world we live in. And to, to bring something forward last year and the leadership in both the House and the Senate just really not come to terms, you realize that, hey, look, these these individuals in those chambers, they, they're looking out from a responsible standpoint for as a fiduciaries of the state's funds. So legitimately, they should have some concerns and they should want to get it right. And you start to learn that, hey, you really got to talk through things. You really got to chew on it. You really got to give everybody the chance to to let it marinate in a way that they start to understand it. We knew it from our side because we're in it every day. Not everybody's in it every day, just like we're not in the, the discussions at the Capitol every day and all the moving parts from medical marijuana to to state income taxes, to pandemic, to ARPA funds. I mean, those individuals at the Capitol are, are getting thrown curveballs, knuckleballs, leaping lizards every which way from Sunday. <laughs> and here we show up with a conservation trust fund. And, and you know, you, you learn what you don't know. And um, we've all grown in the process. We've all matured in the process. But I think we've got, we've landed in a place that we can all be exceptionally proud of as Mississippians where we come to. Yeah, what I what I learned, every boy, you said that so well. Uh, I wouldn't add anything to what you just said. And in addition to that, what I learned is that the, both both chambers of our legislature, both the Senate and the House, are full of outdoorsmen yeah. and women who are very conservation oriented. And there was a, a tremendous push to want to get this done. 
And and when you really began to see, oh my goodness, is you know they're starting to ask the right questions. Like when they got focused on board governance and the relationship between the board and the legislature, that's always a good thing. That means yeah. they have already they've gotten through some of the sticky issues. So Alex, let's shift gears now. Sure. What in your view, when you're telling someone about the Outdoor Stewardship Trust Fund, how do you talk about it that helps sort of the average person get why we need this? I try to boil it down and not let it get over compli- overly complicated, but the way I've described it in, in recent weeks and have through this whole process, especially to our board of trustees and others, is to say, look, it's, it's a state-dedicated investment to conservation, and it's, a state's, it's the state saying, hey, look, we're going to put our money where our mouth is, we're going to invest in our natural resources. But it also serves as a signal to those federal pots of money for conservation to say, hey, look, we want to do business with you. Just as such a just as such of the conversation around income tax to show businesses that we're we want to do business with you. We want to be a place that we can take your money and go do good with it. And so on the stewardship trust fund, we look at it the same way. We're signaling signaling to to NAWCA, the North American Wetland Council. We're signaling signaling to uh, National Fish and Wildlife Foundation, the Land and Water Conservation Fund, all the Farm Bill, all these federal funding parts spots that. Hey, look, Mississippi's. We're serious about conservation. We're serious about putting our money on the table, and we're serious about doing putting your money to work in good ways down here. And that's. That's basically what it is, in my opinion. Uh, others can say it differently, but when I'm describing it, it's just the state making natural resources and conservation and investing in it a really a something that the feds can see that say, "Hey, look, yeah, let's send our money down that way." Well, you know, to, for me, you know, when I ran companies, I, I always wanted to understand where are the best practices, where are the companies that are doing what it is we want to do strategically, and let's go study them so we don't make the same mistakes. So wh- why would we start from scratch? Let's let's steal every great idea we can find, and let's find a way to shorten the gap between where we are now and where we want to be, and the way to do that is through best practices. When we come back, we'll talk about sort of what we learned from some of the other states in the Southeast. For, for me personally, it was very, very, very compelling, not just in terms of what they were doing, but the kind of money they were drawing down from the federal government. That's what got my attention. That's what made yeah. this something I wanted to really dedicate some time and energy on because I could see, whoo, man, we could be really spending tens of millions of dollars every single year in, in, in Mississippi on this effort. So when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Alex Littlejohn from the Nature Conservancy. Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. And now it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by AGJ Systems and Networks on Supertalk 103.1 FM. Welcome back to Coast View. I have my friend, the state director for the Nature Conservancy in Mississippi, Alex Littlejohn, and we're talking about what we hope, uh, uh, you know, again, we're recording this on Tuesday. It's going to play on Wednesday. At where we sit today, it looks very positive that Mississippi will get an outdoor stewardship trust fund that will give us a chance to make significant uh, investments in the outdoors. Um, I say this on on uh, Super Talk Outdoors all the time that we're the capital of the outdoors 
in America. Look, and I really believe it because if you take deer hunting and duck hunting and fishing, both backwater and offshore, and bring them together, okay, this is not just about hunting and fishing, I might add, by the way. If you if you think about just going out and bird watching or canoeing or the, the Pascagoula River complex, the largest undammed waterway in the United States. I mean, you start adding up all of these incredible attributes of the outdoor enjoyment in this state. It's it's there. You may find certain aspects that are better, but when you bring them all together, Mississippi is in an incredible place, and we have to invest in it if we want to preserve it. One of the most significant issues that we face, if you go back over the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years, is is the, the issue of wildlife habitat has declined. That's just the reality of the situation. And if we really want to focus, we've got to invest. Um, so, so, Alex, I mentioned before we went to break that what, it, what we were learning by what other states were doing was like creating an incredible case for action. I mean, it was super yeah. compelling case for action that we needed to do this. Mississippi was only two, one of two states in the nation that didn't have such a fund. You know, get, kind of give people an idea of what we learned when we, when we branched out and studied what other states were up to. So we, we looked towards Georgia first. And, and, in, and really Georgia, because in, in, eight, in 2018, they passed a, a similar bill. They did it through the ballot process and got their program initiated. And in the first year, and I'm, I'm rounding numbers up just for the sake of rounding numbers up. But in the first year, they allocated $20 million for conservation from their from their trust fund, stewardship trust fund in Georgia. Well, they leveraged an additional $70 million over $70 million, actually, uh, in, a, in federal funds. So they were able to take their 20, add over 70, and almost get to $100 million in conservation investments in the state of Georgia because they had a, because they had a state allocated pot of stewardship trust fund dollars. And so you see that play out in other states such as Texas, Tennessee, Arkansas, Florida, Alabama, uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, and each state does it a little bit differently just in terms of how they had to get to a final product. But in essence, at large, each each of the programs are very similar, probably 80 to 90 percent similar with a few tweaks. So you look at those examples and you start to realize just what Mississippi is mis missing out on as one of the two states in the southeast that lacks those funds. And you also start to look at why we're not bringing in that kind of money and we're losing it out to our neighbors. And then you compound it with during the pandemic, we saw everybody else run into those states to camp and go outdoors. And you start to see, hey, these investments really do yield returns. And so it was it was just natural for Mississippi to step up, and say enough's enough. We're ready to play ball, too. And here we are today. Well, what we saw we saw in Mississippi, we we did see some of the metrics coming from the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks showing that more people were getting out into the outdoors, more people were fishing, more people were hunting. The reality was that people felt safe when they were outside. That's right. Um, but you know, if you look around, one of the th again, one of the things I mentioned before we went to break, this whole notion of if you're building a, a company or maybe going into a strategic direction, you really want to study the best of the best in this. And I think Georgia was a great example. Georgia actually helped us, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Georgia. Of course, we had some experience from that as Nature Conservancy. My colleagues there really 
helped us understand the, the nuances of their process, where the hurdles were, uh, where the real sticking points were going to be when you got down into what we described earlier as a sausage making. But you parse all that to one side and you see the results and it's all worth it at the end of the day. It was, yeah. it was worth every bit of the headache that they had to go to through. And and same here, it was a no-brainer that we wanted to jump right in and, and, and get after it. So during the process, you know, for people who are just hearing about this, they may not, not may not have appreciated why it was such an important point for us. But there was a there was a lot at least some early discussion about not including um, a nonprofit conservation organizations. And what I like about including groups like yours, like the Nature Conservancy, and so many others, is that you just like you pointed out, you can you can reach out to your brethren in these other states that are part of these conservation trust funds and learn from them what it is they're doing, what kind of projects are they doing, where's the federal money at? See, if you just leave this up to governmental groups like the inside state employees, so to speak, you're going to miss something. They don't have the same ability to reach out inside organizations like you do or Ducks Unlimited does or other other organization. And so as a result, we get to really add to the list of potential projects we want to do. And we can say, okay, we want to be super innovative. We want to be competitive. We want to find where the biggest buckets of money are on the federal government side. And the more people involved in that, both governmental and non-governmental, the better the better it's going to be. We're going to. It's going to enable us to to get moving. It had to have been frustrating to see your brethren making so much progress, and we couldn't kind of make some projects work because we didn't have the matching funds to go with it. Yeah, yeah. It definitely stings when you put together a real tight and very impactful, let's just say, grant application. Uh, to help restoration on a public property or a, a suite of private landowners who want to enter into a conservation initiative or easement process. And you put all that together only to be turned down because you don't have enough match at the table. So you don't have enough money coming in to be able to compete against your neighbors. And you see that the, really the only key difference that your neighbors are able to pull from is they've got a state dedicated outdoor stewardship trust fund. And so that's as I was telling somebody last week, it's the it's the key lever, it's the largest lever we can pull right now that impacts everything from hunting and fishing to outdoor recreation in terms of camping and hiking, as well as wildlife habitat, as well as clean water um, that we could ever think of. And that's the one key thing that we had to do. And I think we're 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 right on the cusp of seeing that become a reality for the state of Mississippi. It's uh, it's inc- it's incredible. I'm so happy that we're going to be in that position, and we can start to kind of catch up a little bit. You know, there was a lot of discussion uh, early on about whether you should include private lands, and you know, Mississippi was lucky, and and I had James Cummings on the show Monday on my Super Talk Outdoor show Monday. James Cummings is one of the leading authorities on conservation in the entire United States, and he lives right here in Mississippi. What he's written about why you have to include private land, some people wanted to suggest, um, and I can understand this, by the way. I get it completely, sure. that you don't want to spend money on rich property owners, but the truth is most most property owners in Mississippi are not rich. And if you have a rich property owner, you can certainly not include that them in the in the in the in the program. 
But uh, but if you're going to be serious about conservation, 90 percent or nearly 90 percent of the land in Mississippi is privately owned. Uh, you have to include all land and like wildlife don't know property lines. But you got to include all land. It was great to sort of turn that corner and get everybody on the same page about that, wasn't it? Yeah, and and again, that goes back into um, obviously that's something that James knows so intimately, and we as uh, and other conservation groups know the importance of private lands, especially in a state like Mississippi, that is overwhelmingly privately held. But we have we have landowners that possess a desire to do good and do conservation and do good management, but just need need the understanding and sometimes want to participate in conservation initiatives such as prescribed burning or want to do some removals of wild hog or it can be a number of things. But to have somebody like James, who's very tenured uh, in terms of the experience that he has for promoting private lands conservation and conservation on private lands, to have him at the table and as well as others just speaks to, again, the, the beauty of the team that was brought together to make this a reality. I mean, everybody had their one one or two lanes that they could run in, and we all knew, you know, we, we knew how to work together, and we did well together, too. What's, uh, what I learned during the process, you mentioned wild hogs, but there was legislation passed that, that literally had the State Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks involved in wild hog management on private land and anything that could enhance our ability to do that is going to be good for the cause. Uh, you know, I learned as well that within the department, I mean, literally the department's full of all these experts and they have, they are so dedicated. Yeah. To, like uh, aquatic plant species, you know, and the work that they're doing in that arena and kudzu and other issues that we have across the state. This this whole notion of prescribed burn, you brought that up, but one of the most effective uh, approaches uh, for for wildlife management that we could deploy, um, I mean, good lord, the opportunity to put those good people's efforts yeah. on steroids is just so exciting to think about. But anyway, we're going to continue our conversation with Alex Littlejohn for the Nature Conservancy for for the final segment. I actually want to shift gears a bit and see what is the Nature Conservancy up to these days. We'll see you after this break. Also, listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say, Alexa, open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. His love for the coast is why he's here. It's Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I'm having a, a great conversation today with my friend Alex Littlejohn from the Nature Conservancy. We're reflecting, we were reflecting on a two-year journey to get to a point where it does appear and we're not going to pop the champagne yet until we're done, that Mississippi will have an outdoor stewardship trust fund. And what I learned about this state and the dedicated people, both in the legislature, leadership in the state, and and, and volunteers and non-governmental organizations and just so many people working together for, the, for, the, for this state so we can – 
remain the capital of outdoors in America is awesome. I'm just so touched that I had an opportunity to play a small role in this conversation. So, Alex, let's move, let's shift gears. Um, the, the Nature Conservancy has done so much good work over so many years. Uh, I think about the Phil Bryant WMA and the work that you guys have, did on that. As so many, I mean, you've been involved in the coast in so many different ways over the years. Um, what are you up to these days? Well, you know, the Nature Conservancy, we've had a pretty tenured history here in Mississippi and was putting some numbers together during this process. And when you look at places like Phil Bryant, WMA, I think we've helped establish or helped the state establish over seven wildlife management areas and now six national wildlife refuges. And that represents about 200,000 acres that are open to public hunting and outdoor recreation across the state. And, um, you know, nationally, and internationally, we're one of the largest private landowners. And so we've got a keen interest in, in leveraging our experience as a private landowners to other landowners who have interest, uh, whether it be timber management or just basic land management or wildlife management. And um, so we've got, you know, we play those both sides there. But in Mississippi, we're, we're working, we're looking pretty heavily towards the, uh, the Mississippi River. We're wrapping up about a 6,000 acre uh, wetland restoration floodplain reconnection project over near Natchez north of well excuse me south of Natchez right there in Woodville along the river beautiful place um, pretty pretty ecstatic about the results we're seeing about some of the the impacts with just the wildlife and fisheries enhancements that we've seen and, and I say that to say that we're the reconnection allows fish to come in and spawn on 6,000 acres of floodplain and in that process, we've uh, we've been able to identify working with some students out of out of Louisiana that the Mississippi River actually provides some of the best spawning ground from crappie to to bass to catfish to alligator gar and those dinosaurs. But we're we're working on that, working on working with the the Forest Service on helping with some of their timber management. Again, a very innovative process there. We're helping them actually sell some of their timber but taking the proceeds and the revenue from those sales and putting them right back in the ground and doing restoration and habitat enhancements uh, on those properties obviously working on the outdoor stewardship trust fund um, and moving forward we're going to be trying to leverage some of those federal monies down that we've we've not that we've not been able to pursue now and hopefully we'll be able to moving into the future and then um one real exciting thing on the coast that we're working on well two one's just wrapped up we have been very gracious and, and been very impactful on the Pascagoula River. As you said, it's largest undammed river in the lower 48, uh, a real treasure. Um, and to have Ingalls and to have Chevron and to have Mississippi Power connected to that river right there at the mouth of the Gulf and show that conservation can work with industry, that's a real special place to us. But we just purchased the last last little property that we've we've that's been in our priority section for some time and it's right there at the confluence of the leaf and the chick and the landowner came to us and and was very gracious and wanted to work with us and has and so uh, right at the confluence of the leaf and the chick is now conserved and so the entire confluence of the pascola river is now under conservation protection and 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 i know people on the coast really really value that river the way we do and, and it's a real crown jewel for conservation but we're doing some innovative oyster work trying to work with uh hopefully going to be able to have a recycling program on oyster shell coming forward we're not quite there to be not quite there yet to be able to announce it but 
we want to we want to take that and rebuild some oyster reefs along the coast. I know that's a, a big component for uh, of ours and others on the coast. But I mean, you from Memphis to Gulfport, we try to we're trying to make an impact. And um, every day, is, this is what we focus up. It's what we focus on. This is what we get up and do every day. And it's real exciting work. It is. <clears throat> um, we probably could do an entire show on the Pasigula River. Uh, for people, you know, it's it's that this is thing that's you know they go across the bridge headed over toward the Mobile Way, or maybe they're just going to Pasigula, and they see this you know large wetland complex. And people who are not from here may not realize that that's sort of uh, the beginning of an incredible river system, yeah, uh, an incredible watershed that is precious. I mean, to America actually, and it has. I mean, it's literally like going back in time. Certain sections of it has been protected. My son went fishing there for the first time not long ago, and he said, man, you know, you see how when we go over here in Biloxi Bay, we have that. You know, there's a thousand of those in Pasigula. I mean, it's unbelievable. You can't, I mean, there's no way you'd ever be able to to go to all the places. It's so pristine and so amazing. But, um, yeah, go ahead. The the Pasigula River, talking about public and private lands, earlier it served when we completed that acquisition back in the 70s it served as the anchor and the roadmap for other states to show that private and public entities can work together i mean it really was used as a as a as a roadmap for other states i can i can literally see that and when i was published with the sun here we spent a lot of time focusing on the pascal river we wanted people to be aware of how important it was anyway alex littlejohn from the nature conservancy buddy it has been a pleasure thank you congratulations to you and let's hope we can uh you know get across the finish line we'll see you soon my friend appreciate you buddy you bet take care have a great day and we'll see you tomorrow Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.